Our scripture reading this morning is found in 1 John chapter 1. We begin at chapter 1. We'll read through chapter 2, verse 2. And our text is found in those first two verses of 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Notice the reference in the first chapter also to the fellowship that we have with one another and with God the Father. We celebrate that fellowship this morning in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Verse 1 of chapter 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his Son cleanseth us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And now the words of our text. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. That far we read in God's holy inspired word. May God bless that word to our hearts. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, after a week of self-examination, we come together this morning and having seen that our faith is a true faith, 
we come to celebrate the Lord's Supper. That faith that is a true faith will see that we are yet sinners. That faith that is a true faith will acknowledge that we have manifested pride and selfishness. True faith will acknowledge that we have sinned in thought and word and deed. True faith will understand that in ourselves we deserve to be cast out of God's presence. But true faith will also see that God has provided an advocate for us. True faith will see that God has given his only begotten son to be that perfect sacrifice that has taken all the wrath that you and I deserve. That's what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper this morning. The text speaks of that glorious truth of the gospel when it declares, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. That's what we celebrate when we partake of the supper. We have one who has brought us into fellowship with God the Father, who is the propitiation for our sins. Let's take the text under that theme and our advocate with the Father. Let's note in the first place the great need that is ours. Taken from the phrase in the text, if any man sin. Secondly, the only advocate. We have an advocate with the Father. And then the solid comfort that is ours as God's people. Beloved, your great need and my great need is due to the fact that we are sinners. It's due to the misery of sin. The text addresses that reality of sin when it, when it says, if any man sin. Sin is not just a little inconvenience. It's not just something that gets in the way once in a while. It's not just like a little scratch that we can put a band-aid over and ignore. But sin is like that aggressive cancer that attacks the whole body that if it is left unchecked will give and bring about certain death. When you go to the doctor and he announces to you that you have such a cancer, you immediately know that something that has to be reckoned with, you cannot simply ignore it. You and I must reckon with the cancer of sin. You cannot escape the reality of sin simply by ignoring it. In the context, 1 John 1 verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Sometimes someone who's diagnosed with 
a cancer might say and simply deny it, go into denial. It cannot be. But if we say that about sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 10 again of chapter 1. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. The Apostle John writes these words to us. He says, my little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. But the truth is, we all sin. We sin again and again. We sin every minute of every day. We are always falling short in everything we do. Sins of omission and sins of commission. That's why the apostle says, and if any man sin. He's not saying, you understand, he's not saying, well, maybe you will sin and maybe you won't sin. And in case you do sin, then I have a word for you. That's not the idea. As if to say, well, maybe you will get sick, and maybe you won't get sick, but if you do, just in case you do, well, there's a hospital down the road. Rather, the idea of the inspired apostle is this. This is something that is expected. If any man sin is like saying, if you are a human being, it expects this is true of me and you. And then the question is not if, but when. And the truth is we sin all the time. You and I do sin, and we will sin in the future. And sin, both the Hebrew word in the Old Testament and also the Greek word in the New Testament, both of those words have the literal idea of missing the mark. You find one of the few examples where that word is used literally. I think it's helpful to refer to that. Judges 20 verse 16 speaks of the Benjamites who were able to sling stones. Among all this people there were 700 chosen men left-handed. Everyone who could sling stones at a hair breadth and not miss. If we translated that like that word normally is, we would say they could uh, sling stones at a hair breadth and not sin. And that idea then is, of the word, is a missing of the mark. When we sin, we miss the mark. By nature... God sets a target for us 
in which, if you will, we ought to sling our stones, but we turn our backs on that target and we throw them in the opposite direction. That's the horrible reality of our sinful human nature apart from grace. And so our great need is the misery of sin. The misery that comes upon us in our missing of the, of the mark, our constant missing of the mark. Why does sin make us so needy? Why is it such a big deal that we turn our backs on the mark that God sets before us and we cast or sling our stones in the opposite direction? Because it's rebellion against God. And our rebellion against God draws His wrath. So our misery is not only that we are sinners, but now as sinners we are liable to the judgment that we deserve for our sins. And as long as someone walks unrepentantly, in sin, who walks in the darkness of sin, as long as they do not repent, God says they don't have fellowship with me. That's what the apostle declares in the first chapter of this section that we read, 1 John 1 verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie. And do not the truth. If we're still walking in darkness unrepentantly. And then someone says well but I still have fellowship. The apostle says that's a lie. And God has to punish sin. He has to punish sin because our sin of missing the mark. It's not just a matter of making a mistake, but it's actually a matter of rebellion against God himself. For all our transgressions, we deserve the wrath of God. We deserve the torments of hell. Hell today, if you go to many churches today, hell it seems is an, uh, they count it to be an outdated concept. And that idea of hell, they say, well, that's just meant to keep people in terror. Well, that happens in many in the church world. And in the world at large, people try to escape the reality of hell in their consciences. They don't want to think about hell in their consciences. They will make up little cartoons about hell or whatever to try to make it seem like a silly concept. But for all that, trying to suppress the idea in their own consciences, making fun of the concept of hell, for all that, the reality remains. And all their denials do not 
get rid of the reality of the wrath of God that will be poured out on the wicked. God's justice has to be satisfied for our rebellion against him. So that if any man sins and he is left to himself, that's what he must experience, the torments of hell. The fires that never burn out and are never quenched. The worm that never dies but continually eats at the flesh. The place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's what we deserve by nature. But thanks be to God, beloved. If any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. What does an advocate do? Literally, the idea of an advocate is someone who is called to the side of. When you need help from someone, you call them to your side. In those days when the apostle wrote, an advocate was one who You called to your side to help you in the court of law by arguing your case because you yourself were not qualified to argue your case. Jesus is our advocate with the Father. He comes to our aid. He comes to our side as it were. And he appears in the court of the Father to argue our case. And now picture yourself without an advocate in the first place. Picture yourself standing before the judgment seat of God. Standing before a righteous and holy God who cannot look upon sin. And then you will say with the psalmist, Enter not into judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight no man living shall be justified. Shall no man living be justified. Psalm 143. By God's grace we recognize that we could not stand before God's judgment seat, in ourselves, by ourselves. We need an advocate to stand with us. Because if God entered into judgment with us, according to his strict justice, then we could never be justified. He could never say to us, righteous, you have done enough to satisfy my justice. He could never say that. If we stood by ourselves, because we ourselves don't deserve to enter into his presence. We ourselves deserve to be cast out of his presence. But God has given us an advocate in Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is described, our advocate is described as Jesus, Jesus who is 
Jehovah's salvation, who took upon himself human flesh for the very purpose of saving us. Jesus is our advocate. And he is called Christ because he was anointed, called and equipped to carry out his office of priest and king in order to save us. Jesus Christ is our advocate and he is called the righteous. He is called the righteous one. So that you understand when he appears as our advocate, he doesn't appear before his father, before that bar of God's justice and argue and say to his father, now look at the righteousness that my people have in themselves. He doesn't argue that way. But he argues on the basis of his own righteousness. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, argues and he points at his own perfect righteousness and says to God the Father, these are my precious people purchased with my blood and they deserve all the blessings of salvation because of what I have done for them. That's what Jesus argues as our advocate before the Father. And now the text answers the question, how is it that Jesus is able to serve as our advocate in the Father's presence? How can he argue our case? And the answer is found in the connection between the first verse and the second verse of our text. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and then it adds this in verse 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins. That's not just an unrelated fact that the apostle adds after speaking of our advocate. But rather the idea is this. He is able to serve as our advocate exactly because he is the propitiation for our sins. And that idea of propitiation is a sacrifice that appeases God's wrath. A sacrifice. How can a sacrifice, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, appease God's wrath? Because it satisfies His justice. He has made a full and perfect satisfaction for our sins. When God poured out that cup of wrath upon Jesus Christ, He poured out that wrath that you and I deserved upon Jesus Christ on the cross. And when the very last drop of that cup of wrath was poured out, Jesus would say, it is finished. 
God's justice has been satisfied on the cross. And there's a great comfort, beloved. There's a great comfort, not because that propitiation applies to every man, woman, and child in the world. Some people take that thought from the second part of verse 2. It says, and not for ours only. The first part is, he is a propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. But if that were true, that that second part of the verse 2 refers to every man, woman, and child, it would be the case then that Jesus Christ suffered all the wrath of all of God's people, appeased God's wrath towards every man, woman, and child, and yet many, most of those for whom Christ is said to have died, most of those will experience God's wrath. They will be sent to hell to experience that wrath forever and ever. Well, then it's not a propitiation for them. Then that propitiation didn't really remove God's wrath. That's not the idea of the text. But rather, when the apostle says, and not for ours only, that is not for the Apostle John and those for whom, to whom he writes in that first century, not for them only, but also for the sins of the whole world, also for God's people, the church, wherever it is found in the whole world of every tribe and tongue and nation, Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins, today for your sins, beloved. Jesus Christ is the propitiation and for my sins. None of our sins will stand under God's wrath as God's people. He will chastise us, but that chastisement is not his wrath. That chastisement is his love that draws us back again to himself. The wrath has already been poured out. His wrath is appeased. And now we stand before him as righteous in Jesus Christ. Though we sin, if any man sin, and we all do, though we sin in thought, word, and deed, though we do even come this morning, not as perfect saints, yet we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins. That's what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper. And if that is your confession then the Lord says, come to the table this morning. Amen. <clears throat> Let's turn in a, the back of our Psalters at this time. 
to page 91.